Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me for today's episode is my buddy Chad, the Dominicus. Chad, what's going on, man? Hey, man, how are you? I'm good. I'm uh, a little sneak peek behind the curtains here for listeners. You and I have been planning the show since I believe it was like mid to late May. It was during the peak uh, quarantine yeah. days, and we were trying to figure out um, a time to sort of deep dive the Sabres and talk about it. And I guess it's a good thing that we waited because uh, since then they basically fired everyone in their organization. They added a former MVP and they've had at least a couple um, interesting stories written about ownership and sort of the machinations behind the scenes of how the teams run. So there's been a, certainly a lot of new topics added to our agenda since we initially started planning this. Yeah. It's been an absolutely wild ride. I mean, I was just going to say like when we first started playing this, Jason Broderill was still, the general manager and like there was just so much uncertainty and now it's like oh now taylor hall's here and kevin adams and there's still ownership uncertainty kind of it's just it's the sabers it's it truly is a wild ride that's for sure yeah they're the uh like the office meme of zero days since our last nonsense with uh <laughs> basically it's well so the inspiration for this was um and i sent you the link it was a, a while ago now but um, Evan Silva did this show about Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans. And, uh, he sort of did this like full on investigative deep dive where they were just like sort of uncovering, uh, like how deeply rooted all of the issues within the organization were and, and how far you could take them back and sort of, uh, just kind of the insidious nature of like when an organization, uh, is set up to fail, like how it's more than, uh, I guess what just sort of meets the eye or how it's like a accumulation. Everyone just thinks it's like one really bad move here or there, but in, in reality, it's like a lot of bad decisions. And if anything, it's sort of decisions that are motivated by not the best of intentions. And that's usually how you get into a, a place where you're an organization that keeps losing year over year. And, um, you know, that uh, we can take that any number of ways with the Sabres, but basically the way we're going to tee this up and get into this deep dive is we're going to start with kind of taking it all the way back and going, how do we get to this point in time with the Buffalo Sabres uh, before we start talking about their most recent moves and kind of looking ahead to the future and what they can do. So I don't know how far you want to you want to take this thing back, but I guess it would sort of make <laughs> sense to go back to the start of um, the ownership by the Pagulas and then maybe I guess taking it back to like 2011 or so in terms of the, the different eras and stages of, of Sabres hockey and sort of how it's all led up to this uh, this point in time. 
Yeah, I think it even goes um, a little bit farther back than that, to be honest. like If you really want to go all the way back to when the quote-unquote short-window glory days of the Sabres ended, uh, it would be January 1st, 2007. That's the day that Breer and Drury both left. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I think it goes all the way back to that, and the Sabres never really recovered from that. I think I mean, they had like one or two playoff years between that and now, but it's just... It, it, the, the core they thought they had in place never really lived up to expectations. There was always struggles there. Even the one good year they won the division. Like I remember people sitting in Buffalo being like, yeah, but they're not even really that good. They, and they lost in the first round. And then they had that miraculous run when the Pagulas bought the team, like they were way out. And then they finished the season like 21 and seven or something crazy like that. They get in and play the flyers and the flyers didn't have a goal turn. Like they like switched their goal every single game and the Sabres still lost. So hmm. it's, it, it, it's a wild, thing to go back and look at it all and then to see where we are now i mean no playoffs in nine years and <laughs> it's it's crazy because then after the pagulas bought the team they went in big then that that's the airhoff and leno offseason right they're yep. gonna go spend their money they kind of thought you know we'll just throw money at this right i mean that was a problem with the sabers they they had an, uh, an owner previously in galasano who didn't like you know who had a restriction on how much money they could spend and so we're just gonna throw some money at this we'll get good players and that'll fix it Absolutely didn't. So that, that's kind of when things started to go downhill from there. And then it's trading off Vanek, trading off Pominville, um, you know, all those big name guys, Derek Roy, uh, you know, and, and moving on Brian Campbell uh, shortly after that. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's crazy to go all the way back to that and kind of look where you are now. And then, cause then you get into the tank years. Right. So that, and you know, the McDavid Eichel year, or even before that, it was a Reinhardt year, you know, but then the McDavid Eichel year is the big one. Yes. So then, then they, then they get Eichel and then, Oh, it, it, that's awesome. It's great. It works. You know, here we go. We're going to start going now. And then at that point, um, that's when you have Tim Murray in here and Tim Murray, you know, he's the outgoing. will tell you how he feels GM who says crazy, ridiculous things that you could Google and like about slapping people's, things and it, it's wild it was a wild ride Sla- slapping peepees <laughs> yeah basically yes well okay um, let's, let's let's take this thing a step at a time because as you're going through all that it's like yes it's it's exact this is going to be the exact show that i was hoping it'd be there's there's so much to unpack here i think <laughs> the reason why i said going back to 2011 obviously besides the fact that that's when the ownership changed when the pagulas took over it's it kind of coincides with this mark of the the buffalo sabers have not made the playoffs since then you alluded to nine consecutive seasons missing out. And that's kind of remarkable just to think about just on its face because it seems almost next to impossible to go that long of a period of time in the NHL without one sort of random PDO bender season where you just, for whatever reason, sneak in. I mean, this is a league that prides itself on its year-over-year parity and sort of the turnover, especially on the margins and how tough it is for teams to, uh, you know, stay atop the league for more than a couple of years at a time. And, and you look at that where it's like, yeah, the Sabres have been out of the playoffs for nine years. The next longest drought is Detroit at only four. You've got the senators at three, the ducks, Kings and the devils at two. And those are the only teams in the league that have gone multiple years without making the playoffs now. And, and so it's kind of crazy to think that we're already at nine here. And I guess the one silver lining would be you'd go, even further back 13 years without a playoff series win, which is still more recent than the last time the Toronto Maple Leafs won a series. So I guess <laughs> Sabres, Sabres fans don't forget that stat that. <laughs> going for them. So uh, I had to throw that one in there. So it's not all doom and gloom here, but I mean, you know, I guess in the, it is nine years. I guess you would say that the asterisk on that streak is that those nine years in between them, it kind of sandwiches this two year window where the Buffalo Sabres were, to an unprecedented degree, I think, for a non-expansion expansion NHL team, just going full tank rebuild, sort of along the lines of what the Philadelphia Sixers did in the NBA with the process where you had um, Tim Murray replacing Darcy Regeer, as you mentioned, and just fully uh, them sort of giving him the license to engineer a full, full teardown. And, and that started, I guess, kind of partway through the 2014-15 season, um, or I guess in, in January 2014, so the year before. But um, when you look back at at those process years and the Tim Murray run, it's, I, I still don't know. It's, it's been a handful of years now. And obviously the Sabres um, beyond a couple of, of young kind of cornerstone pieces don't necessarily have that much to show 
from those disastrous years. Like when you think back on those years, what what sort of um, is the lasting kind of takeaway or the way it's thought about in Buffalo and with people that are both cheer for and cover the team? Because it's such a it's such a tricky and sort of touchy subject in hockey circles because it is just so um, running against the grain of of how you normally see NHL teams conduct themselves during such rebuilds. Yeah, I mean it's there. There was a segment, um, I would say minority probably of the fan base at the time, and still um, that thinks tanking was the was the wrong decision, and one of the reasons why the franchise is where they are now. You know, that's the you know, well, you tanked how many ever years ago? You put this losing culture in, but I mean, come on, like there's been turnover. Those players are gone, and that's I just don't buy that excuse anymore, to be honest. And you know, at the end of the day. They they achieved their objective in those years were to get good young players and get a lot of draft picks. The problem was the execution. If you go back and look at their drafts, they were horrendous, like terrible. They got basically nothing outside of the first round. Those top five picks that they got. Um, and Reinhardt has been good. You know, Eichel has been good. And you know, for other people that'll say, well, they really wanted McDavid that year. Well, of course. But the whole point of the tank and the way it worked back then is you wanted to be last because when you didn't win the lottery, you were getting one of the two. Mm-hmm. So anybody who tells you, like, yeah, but it was McDavid the whole time, well, of course, sure. I mean, that's, you know, the main guy because of how good he is. But there's, you know, Michael was a great consolation. And, you know, where we're seeing it now, you know, you, in my opinion, he had a MVP caliber season last year. Um, you know, that team without him is an AHL team, in my opinion, last season. But, you know, it, it's... It, <laughs> I tell people all the time, and it, it's so odd to say that that honestly might have been the most fun I've had watching Sabres hockey because <laughs> that 15-16 season, it was basically, it was a, you know, a reverse playoff, right? Because you, you're, you're watching games every single night. One, you're, you're seeing if the Sabres lose, and then you're seeing how that impacts the standings at the bottom. And then you're seeing, oh, Arizona's playing so-and-so. Are they are they winning or losing? And then you're watching Edmonton and other teams. And it's really, I mean, that's kind of like the most focus you've been on the standings that late in the season. And then you have that wild Arizona game, Sabres game, near the end of the season where Sabres fans are openly rooting against their own team. People are wearing, like, taping Coyotes logos over their jersey. Like, I was at that game. And seeing <laughs> that, it was insane. So... <laughs> You'll to have those things in your memories is just wild. You also had the Michael Neuberth run where in February that season he, not, he played nine games, had a nine thirty eight save percentage in those games, and I guess you know you you just say oh, yeah. he won them eight points. I guess in in that case he yeah. lost them or cost them got traded. eight points, yeah. and then they're like, okay, we need to get this guy out of town. They kept ASAP. trading goalies until they got bad ones. Yeah, um, they got Slim back, and he was good too. And they had to like put him behind somebody. Like they kept getting goalies that were playing well. Yeah, when you think about it, whether it was a success or not, I guess obviously you'd say it wasn't just in the sense that the team still hasn't made the playoffs since and it, I guess hasn't uh, manifested itself into anything sort of tangible uh, looking like success for the organization since then. But, you know, you go back to it in those two years. I mean, my God, 44, 102, and 18 record. They got outscored by like 200 goals over those two seasons. I think set a new low watermark, which I don't think will ever be matched again. And then HL, where at five on five, they had a sub 40 expected goals percentage for those two years. And just to put that into perspective for people, <laughs> last year's Detroit Red Wings, who were like, could not win a hockey game for very extended periods of time, were at 43%, which is really bad, but a significant step up from where those Sabres teams were. And so, you know, when I think back to it and sort of look at it in terms of, success or failure and what can be kind of taken from it and learned from it and and replicated. I guess the issue for Tim Murray and the Sabres was kind of twofold, right? One was the damage in a way was was already done where Regeer on his way out, uh, especially with the new ownership kind of empowering them to come in with a bunch of cash and, and spend it and make big splash moves in that summer of 2011 where they signed Erhoff and Leno, as you mentioned, that kind of put them behind behind the eight ball there. And then, you know, shortly after, that also includes while Regeer was there giving Tyler Myers like $40 million, giving Cody Hodgson mm-hmm. a six-year deal. And yeah. a lot of mistakes that, that they're still sort of paying for organizationally, even if it's not by cap hits, just by uh, money that's that's going out the door. And and the drafting is another thing as well. And that's sort of part two of uh, of the big issues there where there was the poor lottery luck where 
Um, they obviously just didn't get the first overall pick, and I wonder how much differently it would be thought of if they had either McDavid or Ekblad in either of those two years. Uh, and and even if you stretch it back to the Regeer years, I mean, it's just it's stunning to look back in 2012-13 and go, in those two drafts, you have the 8th, 12th, 14th, and 16th overall picks, and you come out of it with Rasmus Stalinen, Nikita Zadorov, Mikhail Grigorenko, and, and Zemgus Gergensons. I guess the sort of counter to that yeah. would be, well, you used half of those four to go and get Ryan O'Reilly. But, I mean, that's still a pretty tough look. And, and when you're a rebuilding team, um, when you're just not having anything tangible to show for premium assets like that, it, it really hurts you. Yeah, I mean, there's the first-round pick that was traded for Robin Leonard, too. Yep, yep. Well, so, I mean, it, it all culminates. So I guess that's that's sort of, the, you know, the next step of it. I think of, and I wonder... You know how much of the of the blame for this lays at the at the at the feet of Tim Murray, and how much of it is a bigger organizational ownership issue that we can get into when we talk about Jason Botterill's tenure as well. Where it does seem like after those two years, there was a quick sort of change in approach or philosophy. Where I don't know how much of it was, uh, you know, you you kind of take a step back and you reflect, and you're like, yeah, the idea of tanking and being the worst team in the league seemed like a good idea and a good way to get better but it was kind of a joke and the way we're being talked about in league circles and the way people are are, are thinking about us and just sort of the apathy involved isn't something we want to keep doing and keep subjecting this organization to for years on end and so it did feel like there was a quick sort of philosophical uh pivot or or maybe like a an urgency to expedite the the rebuild and get better in that summer of, of 2015 where they go out and they make the Ryan O'Reilly trade the following summer, they spend a bunch of money on Kyle Pozo. They move that first for Robin Leonard, as you mentioned it, it those were kind mm-hmm. of, that, that's the thing that I always think about where it, those were moves that seemed went kind of very counter to what they had sort of established as their agenda or their motive for how they were going to run their organization for the two years prior. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think with Regeer, the plan the whole long, whole time was to get you know those picks and make those picks and kind of build that way. And then when he was out the door and Murray came in, um, while they kind of talked about that, yeah, that's their plan. You know, he was more I'm going to hit the ground running here. And like you said, I mean, it's the Evander Kane trade, it's Ryan O'Reilly, it's Robin Leonard. You know, it's it's getting Kyle Oposo. I mean, a lot of people forget like they were one of the teams on Stamkos too. He, he took their phone call. Like, so, I mean, they were in on that too, and they really wanted him before he went back to Tampa Bay. So, you know, they, they were, they were guns blazing once they got Eichel and we saw it in that, in that draft year. So yeah, it's, it's odd to think about it because it's, you know, you culminate all these picks and then not only do you draft poorly from grabbing all of those picks, you move a ton of them um, for players that weren't here very long with Kane was what a year and a half um O'Reilly two years ish so I mean it's and, and Leonard you know I mean he's a great goaltender now but we know about the struggles he had um in Buffalo off the ice and then he had the injuries when he played he was fine but it just it, it never it just it just the way it is with the Sabres it just it never all comes together and it's 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 crazy it, when Ryan O'Reilly and Jack Eichel are your top two centers your team should be fine you shouldn't be the worst team in the league still so it's it's sometimes it's just mind boggling to see things like that and, and you know, what, what results are written. You're like, how, how could they have been that bad? Cause you know, quickly the nine years again, like you, you almost have to try that hard to miss that many times. You have to try really hard and just, this is how that team goes. They always figure out a way somehow, some way. Well, so, okay. So if you look at, at you know, even less than that nine year stretch over the past eight years, they're on their sixth coach. Now they're on their fourth GM uh, in that time. They fired both Darcy Regeer and Tim Murray less than a year after extending each of them. Uh, most recently, publicly backed Jason Botterill and said they weren't making changes in late May. Gave a hilarious interview that ranks really high on the unintentional comedy scale, where it was justified <laughs> by saying that the Sabres have a little more information than the fans do. And uh, there's yeah. some inner, inner workings that we see as positives, quote unquote. And then 20 days later, they fire Botterill. They fire, I think, 22 people total, most of the hockey yep. ops scouting department, uh, including accidentally firing the head of IT, who they had to rehire, and that was kind of the ultimate, only the Buffalo Sabres. I guess the Ottawa Senators, you believe that story as well, but <laughs> it's just, it's 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 really like kind of, it kind of 
blends in with everything else. But if you just think about that sentence I just said, it's pretty crazy and surreal to think about. But yeah. then you also include the list of PRLs that I alluded to earlier, where it's like, think about all the stuff that's happened sort of tangentially around the Sabres and the Pagulas since this team even played a hockey game, right? Like you've got the taking care of staff during the pandemic stuff. You've got Tim Graham's piece on the toxic culture of their work environment. You've got the hilarity of pausing construction of the quote unquote super yacht. I mean, yeah. and that's, I guess, um, the reason why I'm sort of illustrating all that stuff or laying it out like this is because I do think, you know, we can talk about Darcy Regeer, we can talk about Tim Murray, we can talk about Jason Botterill, we're going to talk about Kevin Adams coming up here and sort of what he's done out of the gate running the Sabres team. But it's always going to come back to ownership. And we typically, when we talk about teams, we talk about the coaches, the players, the GMs, when we're evaluating the moves they make. But I think in this case, it is a really fair and I think pointed question to consider how much the ownership and the state of it and sort of how the team's been operated under Pegula's five uh, sort of feeds into this organization's seemingly constant state of of disarray and turmoil and always something sort of weird and out of the norm is happening with the Sabres. And, and that's, there's just, I guess there's one sort of common denominator over these past nine, 10 years. Yeah. And it's, you know, you're absolutely right. It's, there's so many things. It's crazy kind of how it went from when they first got here, you know, they were, you know, superheroes, if you will. Um, and then now to see where they are now, it, it's, it's insane. Like, I think it'd be even worse if they didn't have the bills, to be honest. But, you know, there's so many, there has been recently so many PR opportunities for them to just do the right thing, just get some sort of fan engagement done properly. And it just, every time they fumble it, it it's the pandemic stuff. It's uh, the we know more than the fans. It, it's the, the the 50th anniversary season where yeah you got a nice third jersey they had but there's just so much in between it like the unfortunate part for them is the vancouver canucks were doing their 50th anniversary the same time the sabers were the same season and they just blew the sabers out of the water i mean they were wearing you know their old jerseys and warm-ups like sabers couldn't even be bothered to do that i mean the only people you could have made happy if you just would have wore the black and red goat heads in one warm-up just like one time and they couldn't even do that because they forgot to put in a you know meet the jersey deadline to do that some they forgot to do it like and, <laughs> and it's not and then and then you go back to the alumni when they came for uh 90s night i think it was or, or 80s night some one of those nights the names on the back of the jerseys were spelled wrong they they had like like the like chinese knockoffs of like the 90s night jerseys they're like crooked they don't they don't match not the right ones it's it was just embarrassing and cheap the entire way through and then like i said then you get into the pandemic stuff and then you get into the we know more than the fans and then it's the you know it, it just always seems like they, they kind of put themselves above and they're just so out of touch with everything i mean we had you know we had this this embedded series they, they just did recently but they kind of showed the whole behind the scenes of the taylor hall center which is really cool but the eye roll thing in there is there's like a clip of terry bagula saying well, if we get Taylor Hall, uh, Taylor Hall, it doesn't only show that we're going to be a playoff team, it's also going to be a Stanley Cup contender. And you're like, dude, like, how out of touch are you? <laughs> like, no, it doesn't. You're not even really a playoff team right now with him. It's, it's just stuff like that where just you're so out of touch that you know, and, and they're they're invested in the Bills, they're always around the Bills. You know, they're doing well right now, and that kind of makes it you know makes Sabres fans feel like in the Sabres themselves, kind of like the the stepchild now, right? They're, they're number two. And oh, when we have time, we'll get over and get involved in what you're doing. Yeah. They basically hit all the checkpoints of like my least favorite qualities that I'd like to see from an ownership group. It's like the combination of trying to cut corners where they really ultimately do not need to be cut, uh, meddling and micromanaging. I think the worst though is, uh, changing opinions and plans on a whim and, um, ultimately not really having anyone whose opinion you trust or that, that has the cachet to step in and be like, no, we mm -hmm. need to, we need to stay on, on route here. We need, can't just go from one plan for how to run this organization and what to do with this roster to another. Um, and I guess that's what I kept coming back to. Cause I was sort of looking at their most recent moves and trying to make sense of, uh, 
you know, Jason Botterill's last sort of ultimate moves that he made at the, at this past trade deadline where you look back at it and it just, it seems like complete nonsense. It was, it was weird at the time, but then considering how they ended the season where you're just giving away a pick for expiring Wayne Simmons. And I understand it's a future fifth. It's not like it's a pick of consequence, but the more yeah. egregious one in my, in my uh, eyes is flipping Marco Scandella for a very clearly washed up Michael Frolik. I used to love him as a player. He was mm. incredible for a long time playing with, uh, with Backland on a line there in Calgary where they were highly underappreciated, but anyone that had watched him play recently knew he was not that player anymore. And they bring him in and sort of parade him around as this guy who's going to suddenly solve all of their depth issues up front. And meanwhile, Montreal quickly, like a month later, turns Marco Scandella into a second and a fourth round pick. And you're just looking at that and just <laughs> stunned in disbelief, wondering how that could have happened. And, and this happens time and time again, where for whatever reason, this organization seems to struggle with uh, evaluating the value of assets in terms of how they're held around the league and just sort of maximizing them wherever they can. And, and those are kind of recent examples. But at the same time, it's like, did Jason Botterill really believe that those were the missing links to get this Sabres team over the, comp, over the hump and keep Jack Eichel happy? Or was it a mandate and a bit of a push to kind of I guess, save face and pretend like this team was ahead of where it actually was in reality because the sort of trajectory of where the team was at the time and where they ultimately wound up going and those types of moves really didn't align. And so that was very, very head-scratching for me. Yeah, I mean, it's... The Furl League thing is just, you know, the, their penalty kill was struggling and they thought that he would help when statistically you look at, like, his shorthanded numbers, he came here and was the worst penalty killer on the team. <laughs> so it's like... All right, that, that's great. And not to mention, you paid $4 million for him. And then, you know, you go back and you look at like you said, like the, the Simmons trade of the deadline. Like, what, what are we doing here? You're 12 points out of a playoff spot. Like, what are you doing? You're buying players? And then, then the Rod, you know, the Rodriguez and the Sherry for Cahoon trade looks like a good deal, you know? And then, like, here we are seven months, eight months later, and, oh, he plays for the Oilers now. Well, all right, okay. Well, I guess that doesn't work. So it's, you know, it's, it's all of it. it. It adds up. And then, you know, you look at that for a leak deal and that, you know, that causes an overage in their salary cap. So now they have to deal with that this year or roll up to next year. But either way, they have an overage because, you know, you had to acquire that guy for not, not to mention for full price too. Like you couldn't even get Calgary to retain any of that money. Like it's, it, it's nuts. And then yeah, the embarrassment of flipping Scandella for a second and a fourth, six weeks later, it's, it all adds up. And then just to listen to Botterill, you know, after you made those deals, um, on deadline day and talk to the media and talk about like, they're trying to make a push for the playoffs. Like, dude, you're 12 points out with like four weeks to go. Stop. Like you're not fooling anybody. Like <laughs> this fan base is educated. They know what's going on. You're not tricking anybody. Not to mention after that, they went on the road and, and lost like four, like all four games, of the Western conference road trip. And that was, that was the end of that. And then the pandemic came, but like, it's just, it, it's nuts, man. It, it's, and, and that maybe that should have been, maybe it was, because who who knows at this point? That should have been the final straw for him. It, apparently, it wasn't going to be, and then all of a sudden, it was. And you know, we'll say that because we're going to get into that. And there's some theories around that too here. But it's okay. Well, let's get let's get into it. Let's do it right now. Okay. Well, okay. yeah. I mean, it, it's it's <laughs> well. There's two approaches behind it. There's there's the approach that the Bagulas will tell you that um, you know that they, they had the time. Now that that you know they weren't going to return to play whenever they, they fought maybe in like June. So not until like August and the Sabres themselves were not going to come back to play anyways. So they had more time than they did internal review. And then they decided that bottle wasn't good enough. And they're going to move on, which is odd because, you know, two weeks earlier he, he was fine, but whatever. Okay. Um, so that's, but, that's, that's approach a, give me the actual approach now. So what probably really happened, um, I think Frank Cervelli had the report on this in TSN is that, you know, how 22 people got fired. So I think what, what, it seems like probably happened is the Bagulas went to the bottle and said, okay, we're going to fire these people. And he basically said, no, I'm not doing that. So basically trying to stick up for, which is the crazy part of all the Sabres fans that, you know, despise him and wanted him gone. At the end of the day, the Bagulas kind of made him out to be a hero because he was trying to protect his staff. And we're like, okay, then we'll fire you and we'll get our, I don't want to say yes, man, but our guy Kevin Adams in there who will do what we tell him to do, and he'll fire 20 people. So that's basically 
what I'd say, I think Cervelli had the report is, is what actually was the reason behind firing him two weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that, that's kind of what I was, uh, was that what I was getting at where I definitely not to, um, absolve Jason Botterill. I think just based on the performance he had running this team, it was an understanding. He deserved to be fired. Absolutely. But, the but, route but not they, for the reason he was, though. It's, it's, the, it's the thing. Well, and the way they got there is very telling for this organization. And that's ultimately the, at the end of the day, it's, it's the, the sort of Mickey Mouse nature of, of how um, they're running their business is very upsetting. And, and you're right. It is a very smart fan base. I get a lot of interaction from Sabres fans. They are very passionate about their team. I'm sure a lot of them are going to download and listen to this episode and they're going to have comments and thoughts and they're going to be passionate about it and they, and they deserve better. And, and that's what kind of trying to pass it off as if we're not in 2020 and everyone doesn't have access to the internet and is aware of everything that's circulating and, and all this stuff that's being talked about. You just can't really run your team and your, and your organization and your business that way. And they keep trying to sort of pass it off as uh, a palatable thing, which it certainly isn't. I mean, we didn't even mention the Ryan O'Reilly trade, which is like the thing that Jason Potter wasn't aware around his neck for the rest of his career. I mean, and, and that goes back to a money thing too. It, it's, you know, for, for these Pagulas, this ownership that, you know, when they first came in talked about though, they want money to help drill another well. And then, you know, here we are, I get a pandemic, but we're talking about now efficient, effective, super short, slim hockey department. It, it's weird, but like that Ryan O'Reilly trade, they could have gotten better trades from different teams, but the problem is they didn't want to pay his bonus. Yep. They, they, they didn't want to do it. And it, it, I don't know if it, it seems like probably what happened is it was spite out of the owner who didn't like the comments that he made at the end of the year. Um, but that wasn't the reason he was traded because it, it came out later that they were trying to trade him actually the deadline before that. So that really wasn't the reason he was traded, but maybe that's why they refused to pay the bonus because the owner didn't want to pay seven and a half million dollars to this guy that just said he lost his love for the game and you know and then they take that blues deal that is an absolute mess all they had from that blues deal is tage thompson now that is it Berglund left after like a month saboka was a disaster i guess they um, used one of those picks to get Colin. they used that first well, round right? pick uh the third the, the third round pick they got uh, it or the uh, second round pick? I, I definitely one of them i believe and it was funny because i remember yeah. at the time when the trade happened i was like this is the best asset they got back for Ryan O'Reilly. It's like well, yeah. half of Colin Miller. Yeah, exactly. And then they, they used that first round pick they got to get a low ceiling left shot defenseman for the second year in a row. And they drafted Matias Samuelson the year before. They go grab Brian Johnson at 31. So now you have two low ceiling defensemen. And like, I, I don't know. And then, I mean, you have, it doesn't help that Johnson had a really poor freshman year in Minnesota. So now it's, what do you really have in that guy? A lot of the draft prospect guys will tell, kind of tell you now that. You know, there might not be much there. So it's it's frustrating that literally you have to bank all your hope out of that deal as Tage Thompson. And even that really hasn't gone that well to this point. Well, they certainly got their revenge at Ryan O'Reilly when a year later they were watching him celebrate the Stanley Cup, yeah, winning the Selkie right. and the Smythe. So um, they sure got him. I mean, and then you can say Zach Bogosian this year, right? They caught him and he goes and wins the Stanley Cup with Tampa Bay. I mean. Again, he just he for his play deserved it, but still, it's just like it, it always it always happens. He he did, and and not that either of O'Reilly or Bogosian fit into this idea, but just when you think about teams that have been as bad as the Sabers have for a while, I think part of the issue, especially with more sort of fringe players, is and I think this happened a bit with Larson, where it becomes difficult to sort of separate the player from the team and the situation and. Uh, players can sometimes kind of get that stink that's around them on them themselves mm -hmm. and get scapegoated and blamed for it. And then certainly you see them go to better environments where they're put in a position to succeed and they thrive and they look like completely different players. And not that, you know, Larson going to Arizona, he's suddenly going to blow up there, but it, it just becomes, I think, tricky to evaluate players sometimes when you, when you're a team like the Sabres, because it's not an ideal sort of, uh, situation to just figure out who is actually good and who's not because everyone winds up looking worse than they probably actually are in actuality <laughs> yep exactly i think you're right and it's you know it, it it's just it's odd though like you say larson goes and then gergensen's comes back on a three-year contract way over market value like 2.2 .2 million dollars for three years is crazy when you see guys like levo and yetto taking league minimum contracts like what are you doing and it's 
but that's that's the owner's guy. You know, that's his boy, and that's we want it back, and <laughs> it is what it is, I guess. Okay, let's take a quick break here. We're going to hear from a sponsor. We're going to keep going. And uh, on the tease things on the other end of this break, we're going to talk about Rasmus Ristolainen. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast is Bet Online. You might not be going to a game this year as we wait for the world to sort itself out and for this pandemic to end and for it to be safe to go back to live sporting events. But in the meantime, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. Obviously, there's no hockey or basketball on right now anymore with their seasons over, but football's still on. And down the road, when we know when the NHL season's going to be getting back, you're going to be able to go on there and start wagering on futures like championship, who do you think is going to win next season, Stanley Cup, wagering on wins, uh, you know, player props. There's going to be a lot of good stuff there. So uh, I recommend going there now and familiarizing yourself with it and trying it out and taking for a spin and then getting ready in advance of the next season. So just head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses they've got there. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag to let them know that we sent you. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The NHL may be on a break, but your business isn't. And similar to teams who are looking for new players in free agency and looking for bargain deals and players that are going to be able to help them out moving forward, you similarly have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. And that's where Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring, and you only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed's going to help you get the important hire you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses. So right now, Indeed's offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. All right, let's let's get into, into Risto here because... Um, Actually, I will start out with this. I have a question for you. So over okay. over the past five years, cumulatively, how many mm-hmm. players do you think have played more total minutes than Rasmus Sistrelainen? Oh, Sabres? Uh, oh, no, 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 in the league. Oh, in the league. Um, Entirely. Oh, I feel like I saw this somewhere. Total um, minutes. I think, it's like, I think it's like five, right? Something like that, five or six. Three. Three. You got, you got Drew Doughty, Ryan Suter, and Brent Burns. And in the 9,000-plus-minute club, which Ristolainen is part of over those five years, you've got Roman Yossi, Alex Petrangelo, Mark Giordano, Oliver ekman Larson, Duncan Keith, and Eric Carlson. Um, it's one of those things that I like the other. Right? Well, sesame sheet, Sean. That's why, that's why it's so amusing that you still it's, – it's quieted down. It's not as much as it was even last year or especially two or three years ago. But there's still people holding out hope saying that he's got untapped potential, which is amusing to me because he's about to hit 500 NHL games. He's 26 years old, <laughs> and he has played literally top, like only three other players in the entire NHL have played more minutes than him. I think the issue isn't sample size here with Rasmus line and trying to figure out what he is. I think we, at this point, know, and if you disagree with it, then chances are you probably just have your head buried in the sand. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, there's no room anywhere for um, growth and, and development. It's just I'm past the point of making excuses. You know, it's always you know line mates and partners and bad teams and this and that. It's it just you know, you know what's been consistent over the years of all the bad teams is this guy has played the most minutes on that team every single year. The bad team always has him playing the most minutes, and it probably ties together in some sort of way. I mean, he hasn't had the best partners. I understand that. At the same time, you look at his minutes the last few years, well, he's a defenseman who played with Jack Eichel the most. Okay, so his quality of teammate really isn't that bad. And if you look at it, you're like, oh, but he plays against the top minutes. Well, actually, if you read what people write in the research, his quality of teammate actually matters more than quality of competition. So if he's playing with Jack Eichel the majority of the time at five on five, and on the power play, where he actually is good at, there's really just no excuse anymore. He's just, he's 
just not good in the role that he's forced to play in. And, and maybe the maddening part is you mentioned, what, six GMs, four coaches. That you all keep playing him in the same role. <laughs> it's it's insane how nobody's like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Like, every single coach does it, and it doesn't work. Like, like, how has not one of them been like, let's not do that and try somewhere else there? And, you yeah. know, my fear next season going into next season is, Darlene, you need to figure out, Darlene's contract is going to be up. You need to figure out what you have in him and if he can handle those top pair minutes. I believe that he can, but you need to see him do it. Well, with Montour and Miss here, those are going to be your roadblocks to doing that. Now, you can give Darlene the minutes, but, oh, you're going to saddle him with wrist lining when that hasn't worked in the past? And that's not fair to him. And it's it's just it, it just compounds and compounds and compounds every year that he's here. And then you can make an all-star team with, with the players he could have been traded for, Ehlers, Hall. Uh, we, we can just, he can just keep going down the list of players that he could have been traded for the last few years, but they just didn't make the moves for some ridiculous reason. And, you know, here here we are now. Yeah, the one common denominator has definitely been that this team has just been statistically a mess with him on the ice. It's it's this was this past year was the first year that uh he broke even in five on five goal differential with him on the ice. And it was literally forty eight goals for, forty eight goals against. And all it took was an elevated uh on ice duty percentage and like four hundred fifty minutes uh, or so. I was so gonna say you're gonna mention it. <laughs> yeah, and his on ice save percentage was like ridiculous too. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, very sustainable stuff that certainly will be repeatable for years to come. Um, And like, I'd be willing to buy the idea that because he's certainly not devoid of talent, I think sometimes you can kind of, it's a bit of a red herring when you look at the one sort of highlight real goal he scores every 45, 50 games and go, this is the player he is because if he he was, he would be able to channel that more often. Um, You know, if he was used differently and certainly, I guess, in a smaller capacity and sort of had his minutes manicured more more tightly, you could squeeze some value out there. But this is just an organization that, as, as you mentioned, has demonstrated no either understanding that's necessary or willingness to accept that they need to do so. And this is what I wrote last year about him, and I'm going to quote myself, which I understand is very obnoxious, but <laughs> the market is hot for blue liners. He's a 25-year-old right shot that's cost-controlled for the next three years. That would make him a tremendously valuable asset if he were actually good at hockey. The fact that he isn't is irrelevant here because history has taught us that at least one team out there will talk themselves into fixing him based on that profile, and they'll pay handsomely for the opportunity to do so. Considering some of the deals we've seen in recent years, it would be almost impossible for them not to come out ahead by simply doing so. And when we kind of now we're spinning it forward and thinking ahead how they can fix this and whether the window to sell high on him is closed, you were talking about some of the trades that have been uh, linked to him out there in the past. And I think the most egregious one that was passed up on or wasn't executed at the time when they still could was the Nicholas Ehlers ones, Nikolai Ehlers ones, because they certainly, that, that deal is no longer um, there for the taking. So that's one that I think was a really big uh, swing and miss. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's nuts. I mean, I, I don't, all over just quabbling over throw-ins. And then at the end of the day, just Winnipeg got tired of it and was like, all right, just forget it. We'll, we'll just see how our season goes, and then we'll maybe talk later, and that never happened. And now the problem is you waited so long, teams have caught on. Teams understand now that he's not that good. So you're not really fooling anybody. I mean, I understand we still see Jack Johnson getting contracts, and we see, you know, it feels like Erica Branson gets traded every single offseason. But, like, it's just it, you're not getting anybody anymore, and this is a team who, if they do move them, they're hard headed to be like, well, if we're moving them, we're getting a top six forward. Nobody's giving you a top six forward anymore. <laughs> it, it, we, I made arguments this year that I would just trade them for a draft pick. I don't even care what the draft pick is. You make your team better by simply getting him off your team. Addition by subtraction. It, it's simple as that at this point. You, you clear some space. I mean, they have a ton of right shot defensemen too, and they're. They brought Montour back, and they're going to make him to the left side now, which was absolutely terrible last year. But here we go. Let's let's run that back and do that again. It, it's all because of their unwillingness to, to move guys out and to make these decisions. And he's always the guy at, at the top. And there's, you know, and you mentioned maybe you reduce his minutes and, and he gets better. Well, I, I would say he. I don't think he does. I, I, I've done the research on him, and his minutes are reduced, and he doesn't play that much at five on five. His numbers are not that much better. I mean, so I, I don't even know if that would help him. He's just not a good five-on-five hockey player. The majority of his points, at least for the majority of his career, have come on the power play where he actually is good at that. Now, I'll give him credit. The last two years, his five-on-five points have 
gone off. So maybe you could try to sell that to somebody, but he's just not a good five-on-five player. Whenever he's on the ice, he hurts you. So in theory, you limit his minutes, he's on the ice less, so he hurts you less. But I just don't think it's going to improve him and make him a better player by reducing his minutes. Yeah. Nick Ehlers was literally tied with Kenny Malkin and Brad Marchand for eighth and five-on-five scoring this season. Um, (laughs) making six million per season for his age 24 to 29 years yeah it's it's tough it kind of reminds me of the Sens balking on um the rumored Cody Cece for Taylor Hall trade back in the day before the devil stepped in with Adam Larson where I was like oh well you know this is a big defenseman who's hard to come by and we drafted him early and so we are afraid of passing on his potential it's like after a certain period of time um, if all you have, and, and I remember it was easy at the time, and it's a similar thing with this line, and where it's like, well, look at all the minutes he's playing. It's like, well, just because he's literally playing those minutes doesn't mean that he should be or that he's using them effectively to actually return your bang for the buck. And it's not translating into results. And ultimately, the Senators had to take a massive L on it because they basically just wound up trading in CC for, for Nikita Zaitsev. And that's what they were had to show for their blind faith. And I think it is a valuable skill for any organization out there to be able to emotionally detach themselves from a former high pick of theirs and critically and sort of quickly, um, you know, differentiate and determine how good that player actually is and will be and whether, um, you know, it's fool's gold and whether they should sell on them. And it's just remarkable to think of what Ristolainen could have been traded for for so many years and how we kept talking about it. They should do it. They should do it. And teams were still interested and now I really do genuinely wonder if he was made publicly available, what the best thing they could get is because it like it would make the team better just by not giving him those minutes, but it would be really, really tough pill for them to swallow publicly and save face after just comparing it to what was available in years prior. Yeah, it's it's crazy to go back and look at all the first-round picks they did move. Zadorov, um, Gregorenko, Nylander, I mean... We're at the point where we're having a conversation now on Casey Middlestad. Did you, you know, pull bait on him and trade him right now? It's, but yet he's he's the guy that remains here. And it's, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. Um, I know the owner likes him. Maybe that that helps. Um, I mean, Ralph Kruger is a big fan of his. So that's one of the reasons why there's no trade chatter this year because I think everybody just resigns to the fact he's coming back. Uh, the market, it wouldn't be good anyways on him. And the coach really genuinely likes him. So, no, he's the de facto assistant GM at this point. So he's he's coming back and we're gonna do this again and bang our heads off the wall again and keep wondering why, you know, we're not getting the results here and you know, it's this the majority of people are just gonna point at him and it's not gonna change. It's 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 maddening to figure out that this guy is probably gonna finish out his contract. Um, you know, and for this team and it's it shouldn't be that way, but it, it is what it is. Forget finishing out this contract. I'm curious to see what his next contract looks like. That, that's the fear, though, right? I mean, it's <laughs> I, it's funny. I was talking to a friend about it the other day, and, and I said, you know, if they extend him, I'm done. Like, I'm going to cover another team. I'm going to go cover Seattle. If they give him a contract, that's the final straw for me. I cannot continue to cover this team anymore and watch that guy play hockey. They could just <laughs> – that'd be the most egregious move, I think, any organization. Well, I shouldn't go that crazy, but – no, it'd be it'd, it'd be, be bad, terrible. Though. It'd yeah. be nonsense. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's kind of let's, let's talk about something that's uh, more positive then, because you know the Taylor Hall signing. Um, it's one where you don't want to make too much of it because I'm not sure ultimately what the result is going to be and how much is going to move the needle. But just on the surface, when you look at um, you know how low of a commitment it is in terms of the one year and the potential of what you could do with him in the lineup and how you could utilize his skill set and getting into all that. And and we will hear, um, it does seem like a no brainer. And so from that perspective, it's like, you you don't want to overthink this thing too much. It's like, okay, we can just add Taylor Hall for nothing and absorb him onto our cap or not. I think I'm going to lean with, uh, with option a. And so that's basically what, what I keep coming back to here where it's like, you just added Taylor Hall. And you didn't have to give up anything off your roster. So I'm going to go with that one as a big win. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, it's surprising. Uh, one of the most surprising things I've done in a while. I mean, when you're – I keep telling people, when you when you pull one over on the big insiders, and they're like, whoa, didn't see that coming. I mean, you you really pulled one over. So it's 
you know, good for them. Good for them to to bring him in. I think the Ralph Kruger connection helped a lot um, in stealing that. And it's only one year deal, so you know we'll see where it goes for both sides. I, I'm actually more optimistic than a lot of people that I think if things go well, um, that he's that he does resign after this season. But you know we'll, we'll see how it goes. And that's still a long way away from from getting to that point. But well, I guess from his perspective maintaining the flexibility of either way potentially getting back on the market and, and sort of trying to figure it out next year and and still getting that eight million dollar deal is appealing to him i do yeah. think what i keep coming back to the opportunity to play with jack eichel was the ultimate selling point here and that's a testament to the strides eichel has made because yeah um you know it's one thing to be like a young former second overall pick that's exciting to watch but it's another to have that type of a sway to convince, you know, a, a star in his own right and a former MVP to come and basically ride shotgun with you because you're that good. And and that's the point yeah. we're at with Jack Eichel. Yeah, I mean he's taken the you know the Jeff Skinner approach, right? It worked for him. Come to upload for one year, play with Jack Eichel, boost my points way up, and then I'll have free agency again and get paid a lot of money. So it, you know, it, it kind of works out for for both of them. Um, you know, it, it gets Eichel um I think happy that, that they're trying to do things that they get him, you know, a forward like that um, on this team. So, yeah, I mean, it's the ultimate sign to fans um, and even for an ownership group that we've talked about money being, you know, a sticking point for them, you know, for them to go out and give that $8 million, even though it's one year, um, you know, that that's way over the reported, you know, contract offers we heard of five, $6 million for Hall. So they went and overpaid market value for him to make sure they got him and, you know, there's really nothing that you could hate about this, and I think overall it gives the team some credibility. Um, you know, it gives them back in the eyes of, of people around the hockey world too. So, um, you know, full marks to Kevin Adams for for pulling that off because that that was a really nice nice job there. Well, I guess the the interesting thing in terms of stylistically trying to project how what this is going to look like is is exactly that because initially. I thought the two of them, I thought it was a bit of an odd fit. I just thought they would clash a little bit because when you think of them at their core, they're both, what they do best is they're prolific puck carriers through the neutral zone. They're, oh, absolutely. You yep. know, they're, they're, they're transporters, especially rushing the puck with on their stick. I, I think, and it's interesting they're going to be playing together now because for years, Taylor Hall was up there at the top of the, of the list for this category. And then Eichel kind of took his man, took that mantle the past year and a half or so of player of winger especially who's the best at going back retrieving the puck and just being a one-man breakout where they take it coast to coast and create and don't really need anyone to help create room for them and so when you think about it that way it's like oh is there a bit of a point of diminishing returns here where it doesn't ultimately make that much sense to play them together but then you know i was thinking about it a bit more and over time the idea really grew on me because throughout his career Hall has still had success in his MVP year. He played primarily with Nico Hischier, who is similarly a primary neutral zone puck transporter. In his rookie year, in mm-hmm. McDavid's rookie year, I should say, um, Hall and him played 75, 5 on 5 minutes together, and they were outrageously good together, as you'd expect. And I guess, you know, the Oilers really did everyone involved their disservice by not giving the two of them a longer look together. And there's some been some weird revisionist <laughs> history about how the two of them didn't mesh or... You know, they couldn't play together for whatever reason because the numbers certainly uh, tell a completely different story. So I think ultimately, like when you get into two players of the caliber and with the physical tools that Eichel and Hall have, they're going to make it work and it might be a bit of an adjustment, but they're eventually going to figure out each other's strengths and how they can sort of play off of them. Um, But you just in terms of sort of mapping out what having the two of them out on the ice at the same time is going to look like was sort of the most fascinating component of this to me because um it really is like they are such similar players in so many ways and seeing how they do wind up playing off each other will be really fun to watch yeah it's i'm in the same exact boat you were i mean he first when he first came here you know it it, everybody knows he didn't come here to not play with jack that right so he's doing it but when you look at it, you're like, well, it probably makes sense, though, to put Skinner with Eichel and then put Hall with Stahl and kind of, you know, split it up that way. But, yeah, I mean, I've come around the same way you have. I, I think it, it'll work. You know, it's in the beginning, it might be difficult. They might start off slow um, or at least not as hot as people think, kind of getting to each other. And, you know, playing with Jack Eichel is not an easy thing. Um, you know, I mean, Sam Reinhardt has stuck there for a while. He's figured it out. But there's been a lot of transition on the other 
Tyler Wing because he's not an easy guy to play with. And not because, like, he's a bad teammate or, like, anything like that. He's a puck hog. It's just, you know, it's it, – he, he does his thing, and you kind of got to find out where you fit in. And Reinhardt has figured that out, where he fits in, you know, how to how to benefit off of Eichel and – you know how to you know how to help Eichel too. You know, I mean, it's Reinhardt's the guy that sparks that transition in the defensive zone for Eichel, and you know he knows where to go in the offensive zone to go to the net and how to create offense for him too in in cycle situations. So, I think Hall is going to have that similar adjustment, or he's kind of got to figure out, um, you know, how to play with Jack. You know, Jack is a up and down the ice guy, and I guess Hall is too. But you know, it, it's it, there's going to kind of I think be that that part in the beginning, and they might struggle a little bit, but. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're two extremely talented hockey players, and, and I'm pretty confident they'll figure it out. And they're probably going to put up some ridiculous numbers. Just the question is, you know, is it going to be enough to carry the Sabres over the top? I guess ultimately is the question at the end of the day. Yeah, I guess Eichel is a bit of a tricky player to play with in the sense that he likes to grab the puck and go, and he moves really fast, and he occupies his certain areas of the ice, and it's up to you as his line mate and his teammate to sort of get out of the way and make yourself useful by occupying the areas he's not in. And I mean, Skinner figured that out last year, right? Because Eichel is kind of that 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 shooter. Or two years ago, you know, and Skinner realized, okay, he's the shooter. I'm just going to go to the net and finish. And if you look a lot Eichel's things on 18-19 season, he was a lot of low quality shots, but he did that for a reason because he knew he had Skinner, and he knew Skinner was a finisher on the net. So he was shooting for rebounds essentially. Where this past season, he started shooting more because he didn't have that winger anymore. And you know, so he he has the ability to mold his game, but still, it's kind of figuring out, I think as you're alluding to, you know, where you're going to fit in the style that he, that he's going to play. Yeah. That, that was a really interesting development where over the first four years of his career on about a thousand shots. So it's, you know, a reasonable sample size. Eichel was at like 9.7% as a shooter. And you would always think that while he certainly was a volume shooter, he was too talented to, as like a true talent level, be like that similar to early year or early career, Nathan McKinnon, and this past year, he jumped all the way up to 15.9. And I'm not necessarily certain that at that volume, he's going to be able to maintain that as well. But there certainly must be some sort of a middle ground there moving forward that he can maintain and, and would, um, you know, lend a lot of confidence in in his ability to keep up his goal scoring totals near what he was at this year, which was significant, uh, you know, uptick from, from where he'd been at in his first four years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, he has... He has the shooting talent to do it. it it's I, I think what he's done this year is or this past year is he he kind of narrowed in on it. I know he, I think he crafted a shot with me to shoot it as hard, but he wanted to shoot it more accurate. That was always Eichel's thing where he could rip it, but even the power play like he would miss the net a lot. And and you know I think he's cut down that slap shot that he always did from the you know the Stamkos point. And he, he went to his lean on his wrist shot a lot, and you know that that helped his game and that helped his scoring. So yeah, I agree. I don't think he's going to be a 15 percent shooter for the rest of his career but even if you drop down to what 11 or 12 percent i think that that's more than fair for the kind of shooting talent he has well i guess like from the sabers perspective while i do while i did say like yeah when you can add taylor hall for nothing you do it and you sort of figure out everything after that um just in terms of sort of the fit of like how he'd be utilized whether he would play with eichel um and sort of how they'd maximize having taylor hall in the team i guess part of my thinking for not for them not being together was just you know throughout Eichel's career, especially well I guess this most most recent year where with him on the ice at five on five the Sabers were like plus nine or something and without him they were minus thirteen and and that one game he did miss they got throttled six one by the Flyers and it was kind of like <laughs> yeah. a that is a career trend for him where whenever he hasn't been on the ice at five on five the Sabers have basically generated goals at like what you'd expect from a fourth line like they're like mm-hmm. they're generating like 1.8 goals per 60 or something at five on five whenever Eichel hasn't been on the ice over the past five years and and that's something that's really hard to comprehend that that's even possible but you you know moving forward when you think about not only appeasing Jack Eichel and keeping him happy but the Sabres taking a step in the right direction and improving as a team you'd think how do we improve those minutes without Eichel and I think that might be just a bit overly simplistic to think of it that way because as i thought about it more i was like okay well you know you have hall out there uh especially throughout his career he's been a possession driver if he can get back to playing the way he did during his prime where he was an elite sort of puck retriever and he can help grind out extra possessions and he can get eichel when he's on the ice go from 
50% or so shot share, which he was at this year, to 53-54 and potentially become a very elite player. That ultimately makes life easier for every line that steps over the boards after where they're kind of starting with a head start territorially and they're playing against tired opponents and they're able to kind of keep that snowball uh, growing and generating more looks. So, so I think just having improving Eichel's line in a way does also make the team around them better because it affords them different opportunities. And that's kind of a, a maybe a bit of a counterintuitive way to think about how you'd improve the Sabres without Eichel by making Eichel better. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right with the whole setting. It forces depth down the lineup. Right. So it pushes Skinner down to the second line to play with Stahl now. Um, you know, Victor Olsen, who had a great rookie season, it pushes him maybe to the third line or the second line, and then they can move him around wherever the top two lines want to put him on. Um, you know, Sam Reinhardt, now he doesn't have to stay on that top line. You don't need to put all your eggs in a basket anymore on that top line. You can move Reinhardt around and let him be that play driver we know we all can be, but they refuse to take him off of Eichel's pocket for some reason. So now you can move him around and do that. Um, you know, and again, you hope Skinner can bounce back to the player he was. You know, he had a lot of bad puck luck last year and you hope it kind of bounces back and the way Skinner's career is it's up down up down up down so we have an up year coming so mm-hmm. we'll you know we'll see what that means and you hope that Stahl still has that game left it looks like in his numbers that he does and you can squeeze one more year out of him and then you got to remember too they're going to have Dylan Cousins step in so what are you going to get out of that you know I'm not going to say he's going to be a 50 point player that's probably not but you're you know a 30 point player to 25 30 point player you can add your team he's probably going to start on the wing um, and that, that's more speed you know he's He's of that Eichel in that uh, Hall mode. You know, he's that puck carrier, big six foot four forward that likes to use his speed and fly up and down the ice. So, um, you know, you, you have that benefit too. And you know, then then you, I guess I'm not a big Eakin fan, but you know, you finally have three centers at least, um, real centers. We're not trying to jam a square peg in a round hole with Marcus Johansson as your second line center. So, you know, you have the semblance of a real team here. And at the end of the day, for me. Um, it, it kind of comes down to Ralph Kruger's utilization of it. There, there's, there's enough, even with Ristolainen and, and, and you know Montour and, and, the, and the holes that are in this roster, there's enough of a roster there where they have the talent they can be a competitive playoff team or compete for the playoffs at least. And he just has to utilize them correctly. And you know I don't, I, I'm not sure if he can do that yet. I guess we're gonna find out. We will. I'm glad we ended this on a on a relatively positive note, especially compared to the way the podcast started. I guess you could you could say that you know we definitely <laughs> tore down the Sabers, similar to how Tim Murray did, but we built them back up in a much more efficient manner yeah. than uh, Jason Botterill did. Exactly. I mean, if if things go their way, like I said, if you get some players to bounce back, if you get proper utilization, if you can avoid injuries, such as your big players, maybe you get a step from Allmark. Um, maybe Darlene takes that step and, and kind of makes up for. Um, the poor, you know, minutes of Ristolainen and Montreux that are still going to be there and, and you kind of get through those things. I mean, at this point, you know, they're not trying to win a Stanley Cup next year. They're just simply trying to make the playoffs or at least get pretty damn close to doing Whoa, it. So hold on, Chad. That's not know. what I heard from, from Pagula. <laughs> You're sending me a mixed message here. I thought they were trying well, to win a Stanley Cup next season. In his mind. In his mind. <laughs> well, dare to dream. All right, man, this was a blast. I'm glad we did this. Is there any... Any other stuff that we failed to to get to? I feel like we did a pretty pretty good job of getting to most of the kind of big talking points. No, I don't think so. I mean, we got it all. You know, right? ownership, risk lining, um, money, all all the GMs. Yeah. We got it all. Cool. Tanking, we got it all. In. All right, Chad, this is a blast, man. I'm glad we finally got to do this. It was what five or six months in the making, but we finally did it. Um, plug some stuff. Where can people check you out? What are you working on? Give them all that good stuff. Give them the lowdown. Yeah, so uh, about uh, I mean, what are we at now? Five months ago, um, I started my own hockey website uh, covering the Sabres called Spected Buffalo. Um, we're an analytics analytically focused website uh, that covers the Sabres. So expectedbuffalo.com is our site. Um, myself and then a colleague of mine, Anthony Chandra, are the two writers for that site right now. Um, you know, it, at this point, it's a subscription-based site, but that, that's kind of where my main um, focused in just now in the hockey world. And, you know, I, I don't recommend a lot of people starting a hockey website in the middle of a pandemic, but, um, you know, it, it's actually worked out really, really well for me. So, uh, yeah, that, that's where I am now. And it's going to be, it's going to be tough. We're in off season mode 2.0. Um, you know, we, we, we did a draft or team profile on trade targets for every single team. We did like a 30 free agent draft uh, profile for that. 
um, to get us through the first offseason for the Sabres. And now we're at a point where we're going to have to kind of pull some content out here. So we'll see what we come up with. But uh, we do have a few things in our head that we're going to kind of try to spit out here for the hopefully not too long future here. But, you know, who knows with this league? Well, if I know the Buffalo Sabres, they'll give you something to talk about any day here now. So um, look forward to that. Of course. <laughs> uh, this was a blast. I'm glad we got to do this. Um, and, yeah, we'll definitely chat soon. Uh, down the road and do this again man this is, this is a lot of fun all right man thanks i appreciate it the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pdo cast